Well, church, happy birthday. It's your birthday today, you know that. Those of you who read the email that we sent out know ahead of time that today is our birthday. Not just Bethesda's birthday, but the church's birthday. Uh, the church universal's birthday. Today is Pentecost. It's 50 days after Passover when the Jews celebrated the first fruits. They gave their first harvest, uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, they gave it at the beginning of the season as a way of saying, thank you, God, for what you have given to us, and we trust you, we look forward to what you will continue to do as the harvest moves on down. And then at the end of harvest, they do another festival, another celebration. Well, it was on that Pentecost um, millennia ago that the Holy Spirit came upon the church that was gathered for prayer and anointed them to preach the good news. It was quite an event. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2. In fact, things had changed so radically in the life of those men and women uh, that the people around them who saw them and heard them thought that they were drunk. They were so filled with the Spirit that they were um, excited, joyful, they had a, a message to proclaim, and the miracle of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, is that the scriptures tell us that they spoke in different tongues, in different languages, and that there were people there in Jerusalem because of the festival that uh, heard the gospel, heard the good news of the kingdom in their own language. It's a little bit of a picture of what heaven will be when there will be people of every nation, tribe, language, and tongue gathered around God's throne, I believe not speaking necessarily a new language, but their language, the language we grew up with. Now, I know, I've learned from my days in the Evangelical Free Church of America, which we sang of today, I don't know if you heard this, but we're free, free, evangelical free, um, I learned in those days uh, that Free Church found its roots in, um, in Sweden and in Norway. And I was told in my earlier pastoral days that the language of heaven will be Swedish. So we'd better get working on that if we're going to be able to speak the language of heaven. But I really think that there will be, that we will be speaking our own tongue, that the Spirit will make sense of that to bring praise to, to God, to the Father. And so today is a special day for the church around the world as they celebrate what has been come to know as the birthday of the church, when the Holy Spirit came upon the people. And the life of those individuals were forever changed. And our life shall be forever changed. We are given the command, the commission to go forth into all the world and uh, make uh, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as we do, the Lord is with us wherever we go and to the end of the age. We are a people that originally... From the very beginning of the church were sent out. The scriptures do not say they were to continue to come together and dwell inside a room, but from the very beginning they were to 
go out into the world. Uh, Back on our 40th anniversary, Linda and I uh, went to Scotland and then to England, and one of the things we did when we were in England was to go to the Evensong uh, service um, there in London. And uh, high church, Anglican service, um, it was interesting to see all the, the um, I don't want to say pomp, but just, what was that? Regalia, that's a big word. Regalia, Uh, it was different than our churches would be, let's put it that way. But um, we heard the gospel message, we heard great music, but I think what touched me most of all is at the end of the service, and the cathedral was filled with people, most of them tourists, um, that the, uh, the priest that had been preaching said that this is Pentecost and it's the day that the church goes out. And so they uh, purposely had a grand pr- uh, procession of all the people gathered to go out the front doors of the cathedral to bring the good news, to shine as light, to be salt. That, that in a grand picture, these thousands of people streaming out the doors to bring forth the good news to the world. That's what the church is all about. That's what we are called to do. And in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we get our marching orders, as it were, how we are to live as kingdom people, how we are to live as the church, Uh, those who are called out of the world and yet are still part of the world. We're in an interesting and unique uh, position as followers of Jesus Christ. So if you have your scriptures, I invite you to um, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in, um, I believe it's verse 13. Yeah, verse 13. If you've been a follower of Jesus any length of time, uh, these verses are going to sound um, familiar to you. But don't let them just wash over you. Uh, We want to sit in them a little bit to um, look at the truth that Jesus was giving to his uh, disciples gathered there around him. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them 
and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We are salt. We are light. We are those given the responsibility of teaching and living out the word of God before our world. When we think of being salt, we think of that which is very basic to our existence. We need salt. We need to take it in. Now, I'm going to confess that I put a little bit too much salt on everything that I eat, especially if it's french fries, you know, something like that. I like that salt. I remember my daughter, I'm not sure which one it was, I think it was Trinity, our first, who we used to take to McDonald's. We don't go there anymore, but we used to go to McDonald's. And she would take the french fry and she would just suck on it as a little baby. We probably not the best thing to tell you as a parent, but we let our child suck on a french fry and she would suck on that thing till it was just limp. And then she would put it down and grab another one and suck the salt off it. We need salt. We crave salt. In fact, salt is what helps our synapses to fire. If we don't have enough salt in our system, it can affect how our nerves work. Now, if we have too much salt, of course, we know it can lead to, you know, heart disease and those types of things. But we are not too much to worry about that. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. You are here to to bring the basic stuff of life. You are more than just adding flavor. You are adding that life-giving sustenance to the world. Isn't it interesting that when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we are not taken up into heaven immediately. As amazing as that would be, but no, we are left here on earth. We are part of what happens here. The people of earth are important to God. And the way we can reach them for God is by living out what God calls us to do. Notice that we are not just, we are not just salting things. But we are, in fact, salt. It's what we are. It's what we were created to be as followers of Jesus Christ. We are called to be salt. We are called to salt the earth. And um, it needs to be said that we are called to salt, not assault. Sometimes the church does the assaulting. You know, we are out to uh, take over control, battle. It's not what it says here. We are called to bring life and sustenance. And Jesus says, um, don't lose your saltiness. In fact, some would say um, that salt always remains salt. It doesn't really remove its saltiness. Jesus is saying here, um, it's foolishness to think that You are not salt. It's what you are. Jesus says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. It's what you are. 
Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. And now he says to his followers, to his disciples, you, it's emphatic, it's imperative, you are the light of the world. You are to shine forth with the good news of who Jesus is. He says that a city, it's, it's foolish to think that a city can be hidden, a city on a hill. Everybody can see it. In fact, um, in Jesus' day and in the old, what we would call the Old Testament day, they would also often build their cities on a hill because that was a place of safety. And often they would whitewash the walls of the city so it cannot be hid. It can be seen from far away. We are to be seen in the world, not hidden in the world. To uh, become invisible, to fly into that invisible state is a very denial of the call of Christ on our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian, uh, martyr for the sake of the church and the sake of Christ um, said that the church that seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow Jesus. We are not to hide. We are to go forth. We are to be seen. We are expected to be seen. Jesus says, you know, it would be stupid my mom just turned over in her grave right now because I said stupid. Especially I said it from the pulpit. And people online now just heard me say stupid. But Jesus says, essentially, it would be stupid to put a candle underneath a basket. You don't put a candle underneath a pot but you put it on a candle stand, so it lights the whole room. It's amazing how a little candle can light the whole room. Where we lived in California, on the California coast, among the redwoods, we would lose our power numerous times throughout the winter months. The rains fell, the floods came, the trees fell, the power went out. I think we lost our power for three or four days at a time, which means you lose everything in your freezer and all that kind of stuff. But at night, we would light the candles. It was special. It's amazing how the kids would gather around um, maybe the Scrabble board or Monopoly, and you'd have two or three candles, and that candle light, those couple of candles, would send their glow throughout the room. You could read by candlelight. You could play games by candlelight. And if you're romantic enough, you could have dinner by candlelight. We are meant to shine, not to be hidden. And we are to let our light shine before others. That Why? That they may see our good works. Light shows itself in the good things that we do. And caring for the sick and 
feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and living according to God's command. As we do those good things, the ultimate end in all this is that God will be glorified. That's what he says in the end of verse 16. That we do what we do, we shine in such a way that the world will see the good works of God and he will be glorified. We're to let our light shine. Now, you remember if you were raised in the church, that little uh, chorus, you know, this little light of mine, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And you sing, you know, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Well, I had an opportunity to um, serve in a church in the far north corner of California, an area called Pelican Bay. And when we got there, they were just finishing building a maximum security level five state penitentiary. It housed the worst of the worst. Guys that had um, committed three or four or five murders. They were in there for six or seven lifetime sentences. These were mean men. And I had the opportunity to uh, go and provide a church service in that prison, and mostly among the level one and level two inmates. And one day I preached a little sermon, and I had my guitar, and we sang a little song, and uh, I was approached afterwards by a couple of men, and um, they said, uh, Pastor, we want to talk to you. And when a 250-pound, six-foot-four guy comes to you who is dressed in inmate clothing, you listen to what they have to say. They said, would it be okay if we formed a little choir? I said, sure, that'd be kind of cool. Now you have to understand that most of the guys there that sang in that choir came from a Southern Baptist black church background. This was quite a choir. There was probably 15 to 20 guys that came up in front of everybody and sang songs of their childhood. We got the place rocking. One song that they sang was that, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Now here you have these orange clad inmates, big men, unmoved by most criminals, singing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And so we all sang. Everybody in the room sang. And it came to that one verse where you're saying, don't let Satan blow it out. I sang that. They immediately stopped and said, that's not the way we sing this song. I said, okay. You tell me. I'm listening. They say, we sing it this way. Um, don't let Satan hoof it out. I said, okay, it's woofing it out. It is. They said, because Satan has a power that can really get a hold of us and affect us. And these were men who knew how Satan could get a hold of you. 
And they were praying, don't let Satan woof it out. It's not a little breeze, but it's a powerful wind. But, we, but they're declaring, uh, don't let Satan woof it out. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. That's what we are to do as the light of the world, to let it shine and don't hide it and don't let Satan snuff it out. And Satan can snuff it out in numerous ways. We hide it in numerous ways by being too much like the world or sometimes we're embarrassed of the gospel and we don't uh, speak up of, of who we are. One day we were with some friends and we were walking on the pier after Santa Cruz jetting out in the ocean and... Uh, People we were walking with say, hey, we want you to meet our friend, an uh, older gentleman. So we walked over and met him. And the first thing he said to me was, do you know Jesus as your Savior? I said, yep, I do. He goes, good. We can talk about other things right now. But he was going to make sure that the first and foremost, most important thing was, did I know Jesus as my Savior? He's letting his light shine. There are a lot of important things that we can talk about, but his light was not hidden under a bushel. He did not let Satan woof it out, but he let it shine. He wants to make sure that everybody knows about Jesus, and sometimes we are afraid to do that. We hide our light. Jesus says it's foolish. And then Jesus turns his words to the law, the law and the prophets, the, what we would call the Old Testament scriptures. And Jesus says, I didn't come to put them aside. You see, a number of the Jews believed that when the Messiah came, he would institute a new kingdom and do away with everything that God had previously said. There would be a new law. But Jesus says, I, I didn't come to do away with the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. And so many of us understand that fulfilling to be that Jesus was going to do all the law that there is to do so that he provides himself as the perfect sacrifice. Now that is true. But really the strength of this passage here is Jesus says, in me, all the law and the prophets find their fulfillment. That's what I'm here to do. All those things that you have talked about and prayed about and sang about through the history of the Jewish people, Jesus says, I'm the one. All the Old Testament points to Jesus. Soon, all the New Testament would point to Jesus. The last book in our Bible, the book of Revelation, points to Jesus. Jesus says, they find their fulfillment in me. He commands us to live out that law. He says, we are to... Teach that law. 
We are not to change one of the smallest dots. In the Hebrew language, there is a letter called a yod. It kind of looks like an apostrophe. It's the smallest letter in the Hebrew uh, language, script. Jesus says that small little letter will not be changed. A dot will not be changed of God's law until... It is all fulfilled. And therefore, whoever puts aside or relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says we are to maintain the truth of God. We are to be not only people of the word, but proclaimers of the word. Everything we do needs to be marked by this book. We are to teach it. We are to live it. We're not allowed to pick and choose from God's word. To say, well, this sounds good to me. I like this part. I'll obey this part. And this part over here doesn't, well, it kind of makes me feel uncomfortable, so I'll just look over that part. Jesus says, no, it's the whole law of God. But whoever teaches them and lives by them, does them, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And he wraps up this section and he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven now, please note, in Jesus' day, the most righteous people were the scribes and the Pharisees. They were better than anyone. They worked hard to um, keep God's word, even to the uh, smallest point, sometimes adding to God's word so they will not... Um, Make sure to change anything in God's word. They were uh, people who were living, though, God's word to be seen by men. Now, the disciples of Jesus, when they heard this, they said, if the most righteous people around that we know are Pharisees and scribes, Sadducees, and we have to have righteousness that's better than theirs, there is no hope for us. There's no hope, because these are the best. But Jesus says, the scribes and the Pharisees don't have it all. Now, he doesn't say that the scribes and the Pharisees were, uh, what they were doing, that their righteousness was not good. What he was saying was, it's just not good enough. The scribes and the Pharisees, their righteousness is not going to get you to be part of God's kingdom. It needs to exceed that. And so that begs the question, well, what does that righteousness look like? How do we exceed the righteousness of the most righteous people that we know? The Apostle Paul will answer that later. Uh, in a couple of places, but in Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 21 and 
following, he says, but the righteousness of God has been made known, a righteousness apart from the law. It's different than the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's kind of like what Brother West prayed this morning. We need Jesus. There's none righteous, no, not one. We need Jesus. We find our righteousness, though, in faith in Jesus Christ. All are justified, verse 24, all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as our sacrifice, as a sacrifice by his blood to be received again by faith This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What is our righteousness made of? Where do we get our righteousness? It's by not pleading the works of the law, but by putting faith in Jesus by trusting in Jesus. Later, the Apostle Paul, um, in writing to the Philippians in the third chapter, in the ninth verse, he says, um, well, the end of the eighth verse, I, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Where do we get our righteousness? What is the righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the religious leaders? It is by faith in Jesus. Those who place their faith in Jesus are people of the kingdom. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving an expose of what it means to be the people of the kingdom. What does it mean to be a follower of him? What is our righteousness to look like? So um, I invite you to spend some time in Matthew's gospel. I invite you to come back as we look at what it means to be um, people of the kingdom, to live by Christ's righteousness to do the things that Christ called us. You see, we were changed so that we can be change makers. We were blessed and are blessed so that we can be a blessing. That's why the church is here in the world today, to be a blessing, to proclaim the good news. 
Can you imagine? Just think about it for a moment. Can you imagine what this world would be like without the church? What would our nation be like without the church? What would the city and environs of Huron be without the church? What if God's restraining force were taken away? The church, I believe, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Spirit, is the restraining force against evil in our world today. And it will be when the church is exercised from this place that all hell will break loose. We have a purpose for being here, church. It's to be salt, it's to be light, it's to be proclaimers of Christ's righteousness. It's to go forth and make disciples of all nations. The task is huge, huge. And the only way we can do it is by being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I prayed today numerous times for today. I said, wouldn't it be great, Holy Spirit, if you kind of showed up with flames of fire above our heads? That would kind of change the day. But he hasn't done that since that first Pentecost. But we can pray for it. We can pray for uh, a fresh awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives as individuals and present in the life of the church. The person sitting next to you right now is a Holy Spirit-indwelled individual if they know Jesus. Treat them a little bit differently. You're sitting next to the Holy Spirit. I mean... How scary is that? <laughs> I don't know if that's comforting or not, but, um, but you are. And you have the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't yet trusted in faith in him and his righteousness, then being filled with the Spirit of God, I would sure love the opportunity to talk with you today. Love the opportunity to introduce muted Jesus, my Savior, the one who can be your Savior. That would kind of make my day. No, anyway, let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.